26th, here's a proverb for the day. For lack of wood, fire goes out. And when there is no whisperer, contention ceases. That word whisperer could also be translated as gossip. Gossip is the fuel of contention, it sounds like. Okay, so today we are in the third week of a series which we've kind of been camped out in the um, red words in the New Testament. Red in my Bible translation happens to have the words of Jesus are printed with red ink, and that's always kind of a fun thing to do is to spend time in the red words. And uh, we've been looking to see what are the things that Jesus is passionate about. And this week, um, you know, because, and I've been saying, you know, he's passionate about it or he's fired up about it because... You know, I started thinking this week about fire. Fire is kind of an um, interesting uh, concept if he's fired up about something, because fire is a pretty big deal. I mean, as a little boy, I love to play with fire. I still love to play with fire. If there are any firefighters here, I'm not recommending that you play, or even if you're not a firefighter, I do not recommend that you play with fire. Everybody hear that fine print? The Surgeon General has determined that burning yourself up is not healthy for you. Okay, so anyway, but I did a little bit of looking into uh, fire, and um, it's pretty powerful. There's a, a place, here's one that caught my eye. It's called the Centralia Mine Fire. You know about the Centralia Mine Fire? It's because it's Centralia, Pennsylvania. Had you go in there for a minute, I didn't. But it's this fire that the city, the, the, the city started in an area that was their city dump in 1962. It happened to be on the upper edge of a, of a coal mine, and it went down into the coal mine. It's still burning. Um, and that little fire there has, you know, it, it, I guess at times the temperature gets up to over 1,300 degrees. And the, um, it, 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 it's, you know, the surface of mercury on the sunny side is only 800 degrees, for those of you science nerds, right? You, this, is, this is where I'm drawing. I can see the nerds going, yeah, give me some more science stuff. So, so the, mi- the mine is hotter than the surface of mercury, and the gases that are swirling around down in there are more toxic than the gases on Saturn, okay? For their, their, um, so in other words, it's a bad place, and they can't put the fire out. And I don't know how they figure this out, but they figure it'll go another 250 years before it runs out of fuel. Fire can get going and make a difference. And in fact, much of the city on top of where the fire's burning has been abandoned, and it's now burning to the next neighboring city. Here's another one, um, house fires, which are a real danger. I hope you changed your battery when the time changed to keep your batteries current in your smoke detectors. Get a smoke detector if you don't have one. Anyway, house fires, you know, they get up between 1,100 and 2,000 degrees. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I don't know what melts at those temperatures, but um, um, you know, I've seen these videos of a house that can go from a small fire to being engulfed in two or three minutes. And after a couple of minutes, the temperature of the air, you know, from three feet above, is over 500 degrees. It's toxic. It'll kill you. You can bake there, but you can't. You know, I mean, it's a big deal. Uh, there was this fire in a, at a place called Storm King Mountain in 1994 in Colorado, and um, firefighters were fighting that thing, and wind shifted. And uh, they calculated after the fact that when the wind shifted, the, the fire front started moving, and it moved, what do I have written down here? It ran 650 yards in 25 seconds. 25 seconds, it went 650 yards, and 14 firefighters couldn't get out of it, and they lost their lives. Fire is a powerful, powerful force. And Jesus is fired up about some things. You see where I'm going with this? I mean, fire is not to be underestimated, because to, I want to tell you today, the one that we follow, you know, the Lord Jesus is passionate. He's fired up about sinners. And uh, he's so fired up about sinners, he loves them. He's drawn to them. They're drawn to him. And um, he lived with them, and he ate with them, and he walked with them, and he poured his life into them. And um, you know, I mean, if you read the Gospels, you know, you, it'll be amazing if you watch how many times he's criticized frequently by the fact that he's, you know, he's, he spends his life, you know, 
talking to every kind of sinner that there is, basically. You know, from, from the publicans and to the prostitutes. He spent his time with... You just can't... You, if when you read the Gospels, you can't help but see how, fact, how he's fired up. Jesus is fired up about sinners. And the question is obvious. Are we? Are we fired up about sinners? Do we love them the way Jesus did? And so there's an incident in Jesus' life, and that's where we're going to go today in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to see, it'll help us sort that question out. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Now, of course, we know, if you've been in the church for a while, you know the Pharisees. The word Pharisee literally means separated ones. And, um, you know, they lived by a very, very strict, um, very extensive extra-biblical code. So they had the scriptures, and then they decided and added about 600, over 600 more rules to make clear, you know, here's, and they, they live by this. They consider themselves a very special, separated group of people, you know, kind of like the motto is, we've got it together and you don't, right? That's kind of the theme and their attitude, kind of attitude. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus talks about the heart of this. Um, this is not our text for the day, but just to give you an idea, his viewpoint about Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Okay, so the picture there is, you know, it's, it's, it's they're trying to strain something for impurities, and they're trying to strain out these little itty-bitty, teeny, tiny, little, hardly, hard-to-see little bugs, and they miss the fact that there's a camel laying in the middle of what it is they're trying to clean up before they, they eat it. It's like... You know, they, they miss this big thing, and, and that's what Pharisees are like. But the sad fact is, we're kind of like the Pharisees. It's real easy for us to go there. Our tendency is, is so strong to focus on little itty-bitty teeny things and then miss the weighty things that call, God calls us to do and, 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 and to be. So it might surprise us, okay, Luke 7, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Now, in their culture, if you asked a person to um, eat with you, it was probably one of the greatest extensions of friendship. That, that it was a good expression of friendship. And uh, Jesus would pretty much go have a meal with anybody who would ask him. He, if you read, you'll, you'll see examples. He ate with Pharisees, and he ate with tax collectors, he ate with the high, the low, the famous, the infamous. Jesus loves sinners of all kinds. Verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now, this is probably referring to uh, um, a, se- a sexual sin. She was probably a prostitute. The bottom line was she had a reputation for sin. She's a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, now apparently word had spread that Jesus was coming over for dinner. And um, their, in their culture, when a notable guest was coming to your house for dinner, um, and, and it was a privilege to have a guest in your house, it was s- socially acceptable for uninvited people to show up. You're having a guest at your house for dinner. Anybody who hears about it, it's, it's socially okay. They, they can just show up, you know. So, Eric and Lori are having Taylor Swift over for dinner. If you want to go, you just show up. And that's what's going on here. Um, you know, Jesus is, is going to be there, and people would gather around outside, and if there's room inside, it's okay. Just, they just come on in. That's what's going on here. And um, it was pretty unusual for her to go, though, particularly because of where this was. The people you know, who were there were probably really embarrassed that this particular woman showed up. 
because of her social standing. And um, um, notice that when she, when she got there, she brought something with her. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now, this was probably spikenard, and it came in an alabaster um, flask. It was kind of a, probably a thin, tall uh, flask made out of this semi-precious stone. It was very, valu- very valuable. In fact, the bottle itself was probably a piece of art. And um, the, 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 the spikenard typically came from the Himalayas. And so to preserve it on that whole trip, they used this, this alabaster and they would pour it in, they put it in the bottle and they would seal it with some wax. And there was no getting at it until you broke it again. And, and alabaster was good because um, it, it allowed the oil to stay the oil and the, it, it, the vapors didn't go away. And so it was a very valuable thing. And, and verse 30, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. Okay, so the picture here is, boy, I'm going slow through this verse, sorry, but the, the picture here is, is Jesus is now reclined. They didn't have chairs, so he's kind of laying. He's probably on his left elbow, and he's, he's uh, facing the table and the people and the guests, and you know, his feet would be out away from the table. And she's standing behind him. She stood there weeping. And I mean, just picture this, this scene of this just great tenderness going on here. She's, she's overcome with some sort of emotional grief and something, something wonderful and hard is going on. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. Okay, and her, her tears are falling so profusely on his feet. I don't know if she was embarrassed or what, but she, you know, she begins to wash her feet, his feet, with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. She let down her hair, which was forbidden for women to do in a public place. She puts down her hair, and now she's, you know, she's forbidden, and she's, but the thing is, she's not thinking about what other people are thinking of her. She's, she's not thinking about social appearances. She's, she's, she's only thinking about Christ at this moment. So she lets down her hair, and I'm just thinking how humbling this had to be. She took her hair, and she's actually drying the, the tears off of his feet. And she kissed his feet, and she broke the bottle, you know, and she pours this, anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, this perfume was expensive. And normally, if you know, somebody bought perfume, they'd use it on themselves, this oil. But if you were going to use it on another person, you would put it on their head. You'd put it at a place where it would drain down and they would smell it and it would be wonderful and it would go with them all the time. You wouldn't put it on their feet, which would get covered as soon as they walked down the street. You know, and, and there's, there's something in here where, I mean, I, I think what the message she was saying by putting it on his feet was like, you know, this costly perfume is not even good enough for your head. I'm going to put it on your feet. And she begins to anoint his feet and wipe away her tears with her hair. Verse 39 now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, when he sees what this woman is doing, he spoke to himself saying, this man, this is my Pharisee translation. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. She's a sinner. She's a wicked sinner. <laughs> He's murmuring. He's talking to himself. Do you ever... Do you ever see people do that? Where they talk to themselves and they murmur, but they really intend to be overheard? I mean, I mean, I mean that's, whether that's what he was doing or whatever, but Jesus knew what this guy was saying. Verse 70, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I've got something to say to you. 
So he said, teacher, say it. Now, this is not, you know, Simon, I've got something to say to you. <laughs> no, not at all. You're going to notice that the tone here is really, really different as this goes forward. This is Simon. I've got something to say to you. It's this firm tone of rebuke coming out now. I think Jesus was angry here. Yeah, there are times in Scripture where Jesus gets angry. You could probably think of some. And, and by the way, just to answer any doctrinal questions you have, yes, there are times when anger is, you know, Ephesians 4.26 tells us, be angry and do not sin. Right? So, Obviously, it's possible to be angry and not be in sin. Yes, Jesus can get angry at times. I mean, there are lots of examples. You'll see it in Scripture. Um, you know, the one that most, most people think of first is the time in, where Jesus goes in and the money changers are ripping people off at the temple, and he starts tossing tables around. I want to see that video. It's got to be really cool. Anyway, but he's, he's upset. Another one was, was he was dealing with these Pharisees who were really hard-hearted people, and they were assaulting him because he was healing somebody on the Sabbath, right? And he got ticked off because of their heart about, their hard heart about that. Um, and, and here they are again. We got another hypocritical Pharisee who's got a hard heart towards him and this woman, okay? And I, I, think, I think, you know, we need to dispense once and for all for the, from this notion that says, you know, it's never godly to be angry, that's not what scripture teaches. I mean, there, there are, it's, 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 a, it's a serious problem. Anger is a serious problem in our day, and partly because it's upside down. We, we get angry about some things, particularly the church. We get angry about things that we have no business being angry about, and other things we should be angry about because they really should ignite passion in us, and we, we let them. So I think, I think there's, there's times where we just need to recalibrate our anger, but I'm not going to go down there today. I just want to tell you that it is not a sin to be angry. It's a sin to be unrighteously angry, but it's never wrong to be angry about unrighteousness, particularly if it's my unrighteousness. I mean, for you, you have to insert your name there. You don't get to do anything. You know, I mean, here, here, here are some descriptors of righteous anger, um, which I will say is righteous anger would be anger that Jesus would have. Okay, that's how, that's how you will know if your anger is righteous, if it would also be, Jesus would be angry. One, it's got to be properly motivated. Examples would be religious hypocrisy or, or injustice or oppression. Jesus was angry about those things. The second thing about your anger for it to be righteous, it, it needs to lead you to act appropriately. You're going to find out that Jesus is angry at this guy, but he still does the right thing. He still does a good thing. Jesus does. And, and if you're angry and you can't do a good thing, you probably your anger is not, is not proper. Anyway, okay. And the third one is that it can never result in a long-term grudge. Any unforgiveness is never our deal, right? We all get that pretty obvious. So Jesus, who never knew any sin, I think there are many times he's, he's angry in the word of God. In fact, if you're not sure about this still, well, later read Matthew 23. You're going to see he was pretty angry about some things. He, he would get angry when he saw unrighteousness, when he saw um, uh, consequences that it creates and the toll that it takes on people's life. He would be angry about that. And for Jesus, anger was never, never an excuse for sinful actions. Okay? It's, it's, it, instead, it's, it's, it's a motivator for positive actions that would help other people and honor God. So he did become angry, but Jesus was not an angry person. Right? 
Okay, so, so he was angry. But he still responds with grace to Simon as he needs, tells his story starting in verse 41. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Okay, just to give you context, 500 denarii would be about two years' wages. 50 would be a little over two months' wages. So still a lot of money, but you know, one had a much bigger, 10 times the debt as the first. So it's a smaller debt, significant, and a bigger debt. Okay, They both had a debt. And when they had nothing with which to repay, these both had a debt, and none of them had any, neither of them had any chance to pay off these debt. Okay. He freely forgave them both. And then Jesus now is going to start turning up the heat because he points, asks this question. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Now, Simon's got to be starting to get uncomfortable here. He's, he's, start, he's, got to, he's, he's getting a picture here, obviously, but he's got to give an answer you know, that's pretty obvious. He's probably feeling put upon here. Verse 43, Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one he who forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. You've rightly judged. Now, here he goes. That was the gentle part. <laughs> okay, so here what happens next is amazing. Verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon. Did you get that? He's looking at the woman, but talking to Simon. Okay? He's forcing Simon to pay attention to this woman who Simon, I'm thinking, he didn't even want to look at her. Social custom, he can't chase her out of his house. He's not happy that she's there. He's got all kinds of judgment going in his heart. He doesn't even want to. And Jesus is going, see this? See this woman, Simon? He's not looking at Simon. <laughs> He's making Simon look at the woman. And, uh, you know, as a Pharisee, she shouldn't even have been in his house. It somehow defiled him, made him unclean, whatever's going on there. This is, this is, you know, he's got his nose, he's, he's got his nose out of joint and in the air, right, at the same time. And um, Jesus looks right at this woman, and he says, Simon, <laughs> do you see this woman? How could I not see her, Jesus? You're like, I mean, this is like where you take the dog's nose and say, you see that, what you did here? <laughs> okay. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it looks to me like that's what's going on here. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, and she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many... Yeah, yeah, you got that. You, you're right. She's got a lot of sin in her life. Her many, they're forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Wow. What does that mean? To whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. I think Jesus is saying this. Now hold on with me, okay? I think he's, he's saying the person who thinks that they only need to be forgiven a little bit, they're not going to get forgiven. Where do you get that, Pastor Terry? Well, I think when you pull together the teaching of Christ, and there are lots, I'm going to give you some examples. He hits on this concept over and over and over in the Gospels. Mark 9, um, or excuse me, Mark 2, um, where Jesus makes this comment, you know, I did not come to call the righteous to repentance but sinners. You know, what does that mean? Didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. Does that, he certainly doesn't mean that there are two categories of people in the world 
those who need me and don't, and those who don't need me, obviously, right? He, he, he obviously, you know, he, 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 everybody needs him. What he's saying is that until you recognize, until, until, for me, until I recognize that I'm in the second group, the sinners, I can't have what Jesus has to offer. Until I recognize my need as a sinner. He's saying, you know, I didn't come to spend my time to pour my life into people that think they already have it together. I can't help those people. I came to pour my life into people that figured out that they don't have it together. And they're called sinners. And it's really everybody. I can, o- I, I can only help the people who know that, that they need me. And there's another example. There's several times in the gospel, Jesus says, you know, he who is well has no need of a physician. I didn't come to call the well. I came to call the sick. And he teaches that over and over. Is he teaching that everybody is spiritually well? Of course not. You know, is he teaching that people are basically good? No, <laughs> no. You know, he's teaching that he can only help people who recognize their need. And that's exactly what he's saying here about Simon. Simon, you're living life like, well... I've made a couple of mistakes and I've been forgiven for those little things and I kind of love God a little bit. And the sad fact is, Jesus is saying, Simon, you've got nothing with which to repay your debt. You've got nothing. You're like that guy in the story who has nothing to repay your debt because you haven't figured out, Simon, how desperate your need is. Simon, you're standing there thinking, well, there are, there are two kinds of people in this room, you and me, because Jesus, you and I are together, and that woman, that's what you're thinking. And Jesus says, well, yeah, you're, you know, Simon, you're kind of right. There are two kind of groups, but you're with her. <laughs> you're just like her. The problem for you, Simon, is you don't see it. Everybody needs what Jesus offers, but you can't get it until you know that you need it. And she knew, and that's why it says in verse 48, then he said to her, Jesus is talking now. Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wow. By the way, when you hear people out there in the world say, Jesus never said he was God. There's another example of it. He did over and over and over again. This was an offensive thing to the Pharisee for Jesus to say this. Because the only person with authority to forgive sins was deity. <laughs> he says, your sins are forgiven. Wow. The room's shaking at this point. So uh, let's move on now. We've been reading the story. I want to move on to some application. You ready for that? Okay, so there's, there's three major characters here in the story, and I, I, want, I, I think we want to answer three questions about these characters for ourselves, okay? Here are the three questions. Am I like the Pharisee? Am I? Am I like the woman? Am I like her? Am I like Jesus? Am I like him? Okay, let's start with the Pharisee. Three things about the Pharisee, um, and then we'll ask that question again. Number one, the Pharisee despised the woman. Verse 39, the Pharisee spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. This guy despised the woman, and he despised her for several reasons. He despised her appearance. Now, I ask myself, you know, why do you think he despised her appearance? Maybe she was, maybe she was immodestly dressed. 
Maybe she had on too much makeup. Maybe she didn't look the way women are supposed to look. Anyway, he despised her. His error, of course, is by judging by externals. Whatever those measurements were, they're his measurements. Second reason was he despised her worship of Jesus. The Pharisees really resisted any extravagant expressions of worship. And um, he's probably thinking, hey, you know, this is too much, woman. Get a hold of yourself. Don't you realize what a fool you're making? You're making a fool of yourself. Do you care? Well, no, I really don't care. What I care about, I'm doing. He didn't like her worship of Jesus. He he despised her appearance, her worship, and of course, he despised her reputation. Second thing, okay, so he despised the woman. The second thing is that the the Pharisee ignored Jesus. That's the amazing thing. He just totally ignored him. He he blew past every appropriate social custom, every one, you know. He, he, he should have given him a kiss as a greeting. Now, some of, um, of you might be a little uncomfortable <laughs> with that, um, you know, the idea of men kissing and greeting. I, I'm kind of uncomfortable with it. It just, I'm just, you know, John Wayne taught me that I don't kiss men, right? <laughs> so, but, but really, actually, the American culture is one of only very few, really, in the world where men and women don't exchange a greeting with a kiss on the cheek and a hug. Okay, that's very, very common. And, and, and it was kind of strange that he didn't greet Jesus in that way. And he provided no way for Jesus to rinse his feet, which was the custom. Your feet, you come in, your dusty feet, dirty feet. It's customary to clean your feet. But the host provides the way, either a servant to wash the feet or a way for you to do it yourself. I mean, but he didn't do that. Very, very poor form on this guy's part not the gift of hospitality. Or if he had the gift of hospitality, he also had the gift of insult because he was drilling down here. He ignores Jesus. Ask yourself the question, why? Well, I think verses 44 to 47 kind of make it clear, but according to the words of Jesus, Simon didn't love him. He loved him little. Why didn't he love Jesus? I think it's because he didn't know Jesus. Can... Can you remember the time in your life when you did not, I'm talking to Christians here, when you did not love Jesus? Can you remember that time in your life? Why didn't you love him? It was because you didn't know him. I think he didn't know him. Didn't know him. You know you, and you might be thinking, well, how could he not know him? There he is. He's in his house. How could he not know him? Well, I think this, the answer to that is we're kind of implied in the answer here by the scripture. But um, I think the reason he didn't know Jesus was because the Pharisee, he really was about himself. He esteemed himself. He thought, no, life, this is about me. Pretty, pretty focused on himself. Now, before we get too hard on this Pharisee, <laughs> I think we should ask the question, am I the Pharisee? Are there ways that I tend to operate that make me the Pharisee? Well, here are some Pharisee indicators. This is kind of like that tire wear indicator on your tire or the thing that screeches on your brakes when they need to be replaced. Okay, here are some Pharisee indicators. One, am I a religious professional? I don't mean are you a pastor, okay, all right? (laughs) Thank you for laughing and getting that, okay. But the question is, am I a religious professional? You know, I, I know how to act. I know how to walk the walk. I know how to talk the talk. I know when to say amen, you know, Am I a professional Christian? Am I an expert in the law? Number two, do I look down on others whose sin is worse than my own? You know, I mean, 
I've got a vague awareness that I sin, but you know, really, it's the sin of other people that really gets under my skin. You know, am I a Pharisee? And the third one is, do I look down on the failures of others with a harshness that makes me feel more righteous? I, I'm reading a book, um, and I typically don't uh, recommend too many books here, just because I don't. And so I'm not ready to recommend this one, but I'm going to tell you what the title of it is because I'm reading it and I want to read something to you out of it. Does that make any sense? I don't know if it did or not. But anyway, I'm reading this book and I want to read a couple of, it's, it's, it's a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. Um, the author's name is Philip Yancey. And so I'm going to read a couple sentences. The Christian church now attracts respectable types who closely resemble the people most suspicious of Jesus on earth. Ouch. Want that again? The Christian church now attracts respectable types who closely resemble the people most suspicious of Jesus on earth. What has happened to reverse the pattern of Jesus' day? Why don't sinners like being around us? Somehow we have created a community of respectability in the church. The down and out who flocked to Jesus when he lived on the earth no longer feel welcome. How did Jesus, who was the only perfect person in history, manage to attract the notoriously imperfect Reading about Jesus' assorted dinner companions, I searched for a clue that might also explain why Jesus made one group, sinners, feel so comfortable. And the other group, the pious, feel so uncomfortable. In short, Jesus moved emphasis from God's holiness, which is exclusive, to God's mercy, which is inclusive. Instead of the message, no undesirables allowed, he proclaimed, in God's kingdom, there are no undesirables. Now that's the Jesus that we're following, right? I mean, and we got to ask ourselves, we got to ask ourselves in this church, not the church across the street, not the church down the road, but in this church, am I a Pharisee? Am I? Is it me? Am I the one who, who tends to look at others and, you know, if they're different and, and I'm focused on their failures, not mine, their faults, not mine. And now, you know, hear me, I, I couldn't be more serious about this because if we're serious about having a church, building a church community that's, that's, um, that's Christ-honoring, we need to understand that there are no favorites here. There are no beautiful people here. There are no talented people here. There are no gifted people here. Whites are not better than blacks. Hispanics are not better than Asians. The mature are not better than the immature there is no extra biblical code. Do these five things and you get a check mark. There's no implied dress code here. Uh, Galatians 3, verses 27 and 28 are so vital to the heart of the gospel. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, therefore is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This doesn't mean that we're all the same. You know, we have different gifts and abilities and we complement each other. But Crossroads has to be a place where everyone is equally welcome. This church has to be a place where anyone can embrace Jesus. All equal, everybody welcome. Christ is the head. That's the church of Christ, right? Okay. This is too quiet in here. You're making me nervous. Okay. I mean, I mean, I mean, and, and when that ability to be welcome anyone is not in our hearts, we become like the Pharisee. By the way, I'm not, having, I'm not going through this message because I'm trying to correct you. I'm teaching the scripture here, and I think you are a very welcoming group of people, and I'm proud of you, and I love how you do that, but I don't want us to drift. Anyway, am I like the woman? 
Lord, help me see that I'm, that I'm like the woman. Okay, and number three, we become like the Pharisee when we forget that we are the woman. John Wayne would have struggled with that too. <laughs> but that's the lesson of this whole passage in one sentence. I'm like the Pharisee when I forget that I'm the woman. It's me. Okay, here's some wonderful truths about the woman. First off, the woman followed Jesus. The woman followed Jesus. And I got to give this lady some credit because she overcame fear and shame and guilt and the judgment of other people, the burning eyes. <laughs> you don't think that she wasn't aware when she went into this Pharisee's house, they were going to be drilling into her with her eyes. I mean, and, and I, I, she's got to be thinking, bag it, I don't care. I, you know, he's, he's there, I'm going. And she, it doesn't matter if I'm welcome, it doesn't matter if people want me there. Because it, after all, if I'm with him, I'm going to be fine. She found out where he was and she got there and, you know, I respect that. I really respect that she was a woman, but she went after it. And I think some of us are bound to be in a very similar situation today. You know, we're hurting. Maybe, maybe you're hurting because of the consequences of sin in your life and, and the church is the last place you thought you would be. Somehow the Holy Spirit has, has arranged to get you into the Lord's house today and you've tried everything except God. I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that you are loved here and you are welcome here. You know, this is, this, this is a place where nobody is better than anybody else. We receive you and we welcome you. You're just like us. No matter how you feel and no matter how the enemy of your soul has spoken lies into you to try to cause you to, to, to hate yourself or believe things about you that are just not true. God loves you. She followed him. And I love this about her. Number two, the woman faced her sin. She faced her sin. And I think a lot of people spend a lifetime running from their true spiritual condition, you know, the, the, the pride, the ugliness of, you know, in their hearts, the rationalizations and the, the, the list of okay sins. You know, she didn't minimize that kind of stuff. She faced her sin. Apparently, she had heard, you know, that Jesus was going to be somewhere and, and somewhere in there she's convicted of what's going on in her life and her history and she's repentant and she wants to thank him and imagine her standing outside that door looking in at Jesus. She's overcome with all these thoughts and pictures of her memories of these sordid things that have gone on in her life and she's genuinely weeping, sorrow just broken and she's facing her sin. She didn't see where she was she didn't see who was staring at her. She didn't, she, she didn't care about the right way to act. She just saw her need, her need, and she faced her sin. Can you do that? <laughs> Sometimes I can. Other times I'm not brave enough. Other times I'm ashamed. Okay, and then here's the best thing of all. She found forgiveness. Imagine what happened in her soul when she heard the words from the creator of the universe, you're forgiven. Truly, genuinely forgiven. And her soul wouldn't let her soul be talked out of it by the lies of hell. I mean, weight had to have come off of her shoulders. You know, tons lifted off of her shoulders. Guilt's gone, hope is there, joy's returning. 
And, and we're like the woman. When we can say and sing it with sincerity, that song, you know, Amazing Grace, how sweet, that saved a wretch like me. And it really, you mean it when you sing it. <laughs> but when we forget that we are the woman, when we start to move away from, you know, this incredible awareness of our personal failings and our desperate need before God, then I'm the Pharisee. And I start thinking, well, I got this together because I'll, I'm a good person and I can get these things done and I can do it myself. And, and you've really done nothing. You don't have anything to pay your debt with. It's all about Jesus. I want so much to have this woman's heart. <laughs> she followed Jesus. She faced her sin and she found forgiveness. Am I like the woman? Am I fired up about Jesus? You know, he's my savior. Because that's this woman in a nutshell. And that's fired up about Jesus. That's all you need to be like this woman. Fired up about Jesus. Here's a little test. Pop quiz. Quietly, privately, in the, in the stillness of your own heart. Little test. One to ten. About your passion for Jesus. Am I passionate for Jesus as my only hope for salvation? One to ten. Am I passionate about Jesus as my only source of strength in this life? <clears throat> Am I passionate about Jesus as the answer, the answer to this world's problems? Am I passionate about Jesus as my reason for living? It's okay, now, best of all the three characters, am I like Jesus? You know, when you, when you study the Lord, you'll see how much he had, it, he had it together, right? And we love him. Jesus, first off, one, one he welcomed them where they were. I'll come to that asterisk in a minute, but both of them. He welcomed both of these people right where they were. Because notice that Jesus loved the Pharisee too. He did. He loved the Pharisee too. The Pharisee says, hey, hey Lord, come over for dinner. Jesus says, cool, I'm coming. And he goes. Now, here's the risk, part of the risk that we face hearing a message like this. You know, We say to ourselves, you know, what we got to do now is we got to run the Pharisees out of this church because we love everybody here and we want everybody and except Pharisees, we hate them. That's Pharisee talk. You know, that puts me in the group of people who love everybody and <laughs> Pharisees don't. So, you know, Pharisaical, that's Pharisee talk. And I want to take a minute, um, just, just a moment on that asterisk. Okay. Um, I spent quite a bit of time on this topic, what to say on this point, Jesus welcomed, because I could have used the word accepted, but I didn't. I chose intentionally not to use the word accepted. Not because it wouldn't be an okay word, but because in our culture, it means something a little bit different. And the reason that I'm, I'm going to take a minute on this is that um, there are, there's a popular teaching out there that Jesus accepts everyone. And I think... In, I think that in part of the reason that that, um, that, that teaching is out floating around um, is that it feels better. And, uh, but also, I think that the, of, of, the, of the many different translations of the Word of God, that there are some translations that I, I would say are a little unfortunate. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to show you two scriptures from Romans 14 and 15. Um, and these are from the New International Version. Uh, Romans 14, one, it says, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. 
Okay, you see the word accept there. And Romans 15 says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Here's the thing. That word there, accept, translated accept, um, does not mean approve. But our culture says that the word is the same as approve. It does not mean approve. The word proslambano um, literally means, means to take it to yourself. It means to receive or welcome. And it's used in the context of like eating or welcoming. Okay? So now the same two scriptures, and I'll put them up at the same time. You can see them from the New King James Version. Um, and also the, the ESV you, you, is very, very close. They say receive. The ESV says welcome one who is weak in faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. By the way, the disputes over doubtful things, this was an argument between Christians about whether they, could eat, whether they should eat meats, whether they should be vegetarians, okay? He's basically saying, welcome each other. Don't get in stupid squabbles about little things that are not important, okay? That's what that scripture says. And verse 15, uh, or chapter 15, 7 says, therefore receive or welcome one another just as Christ also welcomed us to the glory of God. Jesus welcomed them right where they were. You don't have to approve of somebody before you can welcome them, right? Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Pharisees think you have to approve them before you can welcome them. We don't have to do that. We do not have to approve of people before we can invest life into them. We don't have to approve of the way people are before we can care for them and minister to them and spend time with them. Just be careful that you are the influencer and not the influencee. And somehow you've got to figure that out. I, I went, where I'm going with this is our church is not only big enough for the women, which I'm one of, right? right? It's not only big enough for the women, but our church is big enough for the Pharisees to be here too. And Jesus welcomed her as she was, 100% welcome. Okay, second thing that Jesus did was he gave them both what they needed, didn't he? He gave them what they needed, exactly what they needed. The Pharisee needed the truth. <laughs> Simon needed a serious shakeup with the truth, okay? And uh, Jesus is thinking, you know, you really need some truth. And so he speaks to him the truth in love, and he does it. The woman needed what all of us need, and that's the assurance that our sins are forgiven. That's something that every one of us needs. You know, Jesus says to her, you know what? You know what? You're... you're, you're your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He's basically saying, don't worry about it anymore. I've got it covered. This is a done deal. We're good. So let's answer the question now as we finish here. You know, am I like Jesus? Am I? Do I fully welcome people where they are? You know. By the way, welcome to Crossroads Church. It's full of sinners, Right? Do we fully welcome people? That's us. And do I fully welcome the people around me that are different than me? Or am I always quick? Quick, quick, quick to judge something I don't understand. Quick, quick to judge and condemn. Quick, quick. Am I like Jesus? We're the Pharisee when we forget that we are the woman. Let's pray. Lord, um, this could kind of...